Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Interview then, but tonight the reason we wanted to specifically talk about this in this format, just as I about to invite Chris up, is we've all lost something over the last twelve months, and. And talking to Dr. Chris over the time, he's a good friend of mine, and trying to get a head around why, why, is this, why is there so much that we're wrestling with right now as Australians, and argue, I'm sure people, every nation has their own wrestle right now, but we've all lost something. And if we don't take time to recognize that we've lost something and to grieve it, sometimes it can be having a negative impact on our mental health without us even knowing why. And so we want to delve into that tonight. And the reason we want to talk about grief is because Jesus did. And in fact, the last few weeks we've been talking about in this series, What Happy People Know, and Jesus did a whole message called The Beatitudes about what happy people know. And one of the verses there, he said, Matthew recorded it, he's one of his earliest followers. Jesus says, happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Without getting too much into that, Jesus laid it out there saying, even happy people mourn. And if we're grieving and if we've suffered loss and if we're sad, that does not mean necessarily that something is wrong with you or that you're not happy or you're not somehow doing things right as it comes to faith. And so we wanted to delve into the complexity of that and the awkwardness of that. And I just want to put it right out there. I'm a pastor. I do not know most things about everything, right? So I figure when it comes to things like this that are way beyond my pay grade and well beyond my experience, I love to get a professional to speak into this who lives in this space frequently. So can we please give a huge welcome tonight to Dr. Chris Moller as he comes to join me on stage. Boom. Please take a seat. Ah, so good to see you again, mate. Thank you for being here. Maybe give a quick uh, bit of background. Your story, professional background, what makes you yeah. qualified to have this conversation with me Absolutely. tonight? So I, I'm a GP and I work here on the Sunshine Coast. And um, I spent about uh, four and a half years as a military medical officer and I've worked in some areas of research and that kind of thing as well. Um, you know, as a GP, I see a lot of different things and a large proportion of what I see is mental health related conditions. So um, we'll see a lot of this kind of thing. Great, and just want to put a disclaimer out there. If people have like a purple rash on their arm or something tonight, they shouldn't come straight after you after the messaging. Yeah, what is yeah, this? The purple rash is very important. You need to get that checked out straight Okay, that's Seinfeld reference for those who are <laughs> pre-millennials. Anyways, um, let's dive right into it. Why, why and what are the links between um, a mental health and, and grief and loss? And why has this become super prevalent? And not that it's new, it's just we're probably all aware of it now particularly in the last 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, grief is really important to understand because often when people hear about grief, they'll think about bereavement, like they've lost a person, somebody's passed away. But really, you can grieve all sorts of losses in your life. When something's gone from your life, we can call that a definitive grief. So it's, it's past and, and people need to move on, and that's the kind of grief that people experience when they've lost somebody. But if you've lost something in your life, maybe you've lost opportunities or careers or relationships and that thing isn't completely removed from your world you could end up in a situation of what we call ambiguous grief or a living loss and that can be very hard to understand how to move forward and, and reconstruct your next chapter when you still have that thing that you've, you've lost but isn't completely removed and that can be very difficult because i think in, in many ways everyone probably as we're talking this tonight will be thinking in terms of their experience Everyone's kind of lost something over the last 12 months, you know. I think about even stories that are close to my heart, people that are far away or hopes that maybe people had for certain life events. Um, and so 
so what, if I'm hearing you correctly, sometimes these things that are losses, we don't often view them that way and we don't maybe go through the process of grieving them in a way that helps us to transition. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, a loss is one way of looking at it, but another way to, to view it is transitions. Even big transitions, right. you can find that something that was part of your identity isn't there anymore and you need to help to build what you're going to be like in the future out of the person that you are now. Okay, you use the word identity. So we use this term like church speak a lot and we often talk about getting your identity from God. Is there something that you can help us understand maybe from a you know, medical background? Is there some healthy ways we can approach understanding our identity and how grief and loss sometimes shapes that for better or for yeah, worse? Absolutely. I'm going to show you something up on the whiteboard. I love the whiteboard. <laughs> yes. Now, there's a, a psychologist and a researcher whose name is Dan McAdams and he's been working on ideas of identity for the last few decades. Um, and here's a really useful way of understanding identity. And it works in layers. And at the most basic layer, we have what is most commonly known as the big five, the five-factor uh, model of personality. And that kind of is a range of settings that we develop, usually in young childhood, uh, and are fairly consistent throughout our life. There can be a little bit of change or migration, depending on your experiences. But for most people, it's pretty steady. Um, you've probably heard about these before, so the, uh, the big five, uh, conscientiousness, uh, agreeableness, openness, neuroticism, which they want to change now to say stability, because it sounds better. And sounds much better. Extroversion. And I won't harp on too much about this. Um, if you're interested in it, then I'll let you go and Google it. If you're a nerd like me, that's an easy way to find out about it. And it's been around for a while. It's pretty consistent in the literature, and it keeps coming up, and it's something that's been pretty well established. Um, in McAdams' model, layered on top of that is what we call our agency. And in our agency, these are the things that help us to define where we're going and what we want to do next and how our identity gets built. And our agency includes things like our goals, our motivations, our values, our hopes, mm. and our fears. And these are the things that we build our identity out of. In the top layer, we have what we call a narrative identity. And this is like a story that we write about ourselves. This goes from the past, where we came from, where we grew up, the experiences we've had through our present, which is where we live now, and on into the future. And most of us have an expected future, things that we expect are probably going to happen. And throughout this story, there's going to be smaller story arcs as well. You might have started school, and you finished school, you might have started a relationship, went well, maybe didn't go so well, and it ended. Doesn't necessarily go through the present, but uh, lots of different things will start and end during that narrative. What can happen with grief is that you can unexpectedly lose things which help you construct your narrative and your identity. So I'll use one of my examples. I used to be in the military. And I made the decision that I wasn't going to be in the military anymore. I was going to come out and be a civilian. And that was Same. an expected change. <laughs> and, and it was something that I wanted to do. But still, when that happened, it disrupted a lot of the things which I was using to build my identity. Right. And the effect was that that future, that narrative that I had about myself, didn't exist in the same way it did before. And the effect of that was to leave me feeling very unmoored like I'd, my brakes had locked up. And it was a very difficult thing to get through. When we f now, the things that can drive that are different for every person. My situation is just one situation. 
but there's lots of things which can be very difficult to experience and to, to reconstruct the future going forward. You know, you might have lost a relationship, you might have lost opportunities, jobs, you might have lost a pregnancy, you know, you might have a diagnosis in your family which means that that future that you had planned ahead doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And that can be a very painful experience. Yeah. And that can often leave people feeling sad, angry, anxious, stressed or worried. And all those feelings are valid. You know, you're allowed to feel those things. But engaging with this in a healthy way means that you don't have to live in that situation. Right. And quite often if you're struggling with this, I do recommend speaking to a psychologist or a doctor or somebody who can give you an external opinion and help you to identify some of the things that you're struggling with. And ultimately, what we want to do is rebuild your agency, your values, your hopes, fears, goals, and give you a structure to create from your present a new, different future that's not the same as the thing that you were planning for necessarily, but still a positive and different story that goes into your next chapter. That's a big deal, man, because you're talking about wrestling with our, get put down there in our agency, like our motivations, our values. Um, you know, when you're explaining that to me, I'm thinking even recently I had a conversation with someone who I'm friends with, um, lost a long-term relationship, had plans for their future, had hopes, and um, having that kind of relationship intact was a huge value, I would say, for theirs. And now that relationship's gone, it's like all of a sudden what motivates them having family and all these things has clashed now with their values. And their story seems to be, and you, when I thought you wipe it out, I was like, well, oh, that must be like often when people kind of, they lose something that they completely had hope. Can you maybe speak a little more into that? What happens is this, this scenario that's common where maybe your motivations and your values clash kind of in that space there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give a, an example. I'll kind of pick it out of my head. Whiteboard again, yeah. Just stay there, man. I'm going to be sending you up there all night. <laughs> um, so, you know, relationships very strong value for a lot of people, the way they interact with the people around them, the way that they engage with their partner, for example, their family. Now, in that situation, if that relationship is broken down, then that strong value doesn't exist anymore. And, well, they, they still value it, but, but it doesn't exist in the same way that it was. Right. So creating a, another value where they can still engage with people or in a new person or, or something like that in a healthy way is really important to help construct a new narrative that's healthy. Um, what can happen sometimes, though, is that sometimes people will have a motivation or idea or something that they want to do to get forward in the future, and it can clash with something else that's going on for them. So they may have a, uh, a motivation to make a lot of money, for example. They mm. may have a value where they want to spend a lot of time with their family, and they may not necessarily be compatible values. Yeah. Sometimes they are, and if that is, that's great, more power to you. But most of the time, people find that they can't serve both those masters. Right. You know, um, what so what happens there? Do you have to like change a value or change a motivation? Is that what you're talking about here with reconstructing your narrative? So what can be helpful is to reflect, what we call it autobiographical uh, reflection on who you are and where you've been. And this is where somebody who's got some training and can talk you through some of the uh, fine nuts and bolts of it can be really helpful um, to help you to evolve your values and your motivations to be congruent, so they're both pointing in the same direction. Right. Otherwise, you can keep coming up against these conflicts that are very painful and continue along a path which isn't really compatible with what's going on the rest of yeah. your life. Man, that's so fascinating. I remember talking to a parent who 
were super disappointed um, and talking about their child, they were grieving and they were angry a lot. And I was like, well, you know, what's your child done that's so bad? And they, the child picked a career path that the parent didn't have for their child. And it wasn't a bad career path, it was just different. So it's almost, I'm just seeing that going, I could see the parent had this narrative for their child and obviously their values were as a certain career choice and the child chose a different career choice and so they viewed it purely in negative terms. So I'm, I'm just seeing this going, maybe they need to reassess their values that kind of looking at one career choice as the ultimate and, and paint a new narrative that even though they've chosen a different story, perhaps, uh, perhaps it's still a positive thing. I even think in terms of like our, the Christian worldview, I've seen that line there about our motivations and our hopes and our beliefs, how often we can encounter a disappointment or something that we've lost and how we can let, I saw that box you put in the present, we can get stuck there. And we let our belief be shaped around an event, something bad that's happened, rather than what the Christian would do, believe what their heavenly father says about them, right? And to let our belief in what God says about us shape our identity more than our failures or our setbacks. Anyway, that's, I, I went to, I did arts at uni, so that's my take on it. Um, no offense to those who did arts. Um, so we probably look at it, everyone's looking at this going, wow, that, that like makes a whole lot of sense. I would love to do that. Why then is engaging with, with this and, and kind of confronting this reality, why is it so painful for us? And why is the whole experience then of, of, of maybe dealing with our grief and dealing with our losses, why, why, why can it be super hard to do? Why is it painful for us? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when, you, when your brain is understanding the difficult situations you're going through, it finds that to be a very painful experience. Um, use the term emotional pain a lot. And I know you told me to stay up here. Yeah, so whiteboard. I'll get back up here and I'll show you what, what happens here. So if you can um, consider this to be you know, a brain, it's a bit big, but it's uh, one thing we know from when people experience physical pain, they'll get some kind of an injury outside or at the edges of their body. Maybe they get burned, maybe they broke a toe, something like that. Your nerves will carry that signal through the body, through the brainstem, up into the brain, and it will locate where that is in the body and what to do about it. So the first thing it engages is the parts of your brain that help you sense things in your body, get ready to move, make sense of your body in time and space. So that's the somatosensory cortex, the motor cortex, and the posterior parietal cortex. Of course. So that tells you where things are going on. When your body experiences pain, it also highlights a few other areas. And these are the areas that tell you that it's a negative, a negative experience. So these areas are the prefrontal cortex, the anterior cingulate, cingulate cortex, the posterior cingulate cortex, the thalamus, and the cerebellum. Now, when you're going through emotional pain, and this is based on a group of studies done by a researcher named Esther Mirwick, uh, she put together a whole bunch of studies that looked at different areas of the brain that lit up when people were experiencing emotional pain. And the areas that lit up were the prefrontal cortex, the anterior cingulate oh. cortex, the posterior cingulate cortex, the thalamus, the cerebellum, and another area called the parahippocampal gyrus, right there. The parahippocampal gyrus, we don't fully understand exactly what it does in this situation, but from what we do understand, it helps people to understand what's going on in their social context and the way that they relate right. to the people around. And I would say all this to say that the way that your brain experiences emotional pain is very similar, it's strong overlap, the way that your body experiences physical pain, wow. that there's a strong stimulus that something's wrong is going on. But what it's missing is the location aspect. It doesn't know where. So it's not something's like you've kicked bad. your toe and your brain says, 
You there kicked your is. toe, that's why you're in pain. Bandaged it up, yeah. Right. Stop kicking your toe. But when you're going through emotional pain, it's very hard for your brain to localise what's wow. going on. And it can really help people to process it if they can wrap some language around what they've lost and why it's important to them. This idea of emotional pain has given rise to a, um, a concept that was first developed by a researcher named Edwin Schneider. You know him. Um, great guy. Called psychache. And psychache is a combination of psych, as in psyche, the way that we understand our internal selves, and ache, the way that you understand pain, like a headache or a stomachache. And psychache is the way that we can describe emotional pain. And wow. it can be very extreme. Uh, people who are experiencing grief and loss and sadness were the people that they used in the studies to define this emotional pain. With psychache, it's also important to note that people who are getting really severe symptoms in this area are often correlated with uh, thoughts of suicide or attempts at suicide. And we know from studies that thoughts of suicide, they'll come like a wave. You know, it can be really intense, it can crescendo, but it tends to pass as well. And you know, if you're having that kind of experience, if that's going through your mind, if you look on the handouts on your seats, you'll see that there's a number of phone numbers that you can call, websites that you can visit, that can really help you navigate mm. those waves and understand what's going on for you. Wow. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, we can experience like grief and loss and em emotional, I don't know, I'll call it, I'll use the word trauma, maybe that's incorrect, Distress. and have the similar sensation we would as if we were experiencing physical pain. But that puts us in a predicament, right? Because, and this is kind of why we wanted to talk about this tonight. Again, if you locate something physical when there's pain, you can do something about it. But if we're experiencing psych pain, psych ache, that's a lot harder to put your finger on. Where is it actually coming from? And so people are generally experiencing like heartbreak or loss or that, um, I don't know, how do you, I don't know, the psych ache, I've never heard it put that way before. Um, yeah, that's pretty, that's, um, that's super tough. You talked about, um, you just mentioned there about, you know, some of the, the heavy waves that come maybe that are suicidal thoughts. Is there anything maybe, if we maybe took a step back before that, you know, we're emotional beings, God made us with emotions. I, I can kind of relate to the idea that my moods come in waves. Would that be a fair assessment that we all have a different, and so something good happens, I kind of have my moods feel good, something bad happens. And then I'm assuming if we experience loss, it would make sense that our mood is low, right? And they, would that be correct to say they're coming waves yeah, look, when you're speaking absolutely. to that? Absolutely. You know, people, when they're feeling those extremes of, of uh, emotional distress, uh, like in That's the word I was looking yeah, for. <laughs> the, the situation, you know, it can, it can be really difficult and uh, it can really help to understand the way that we kind of expect people's emotions to go. Um, so I'll draw this out for you. If you imagine that this is, you know, a, a graph over time where we're looking at your mood. And you have some, you know, positive mood and you have some negative mood. And most people's mood, it'll oscillate a little bit around a pretty steady baseline. You might feel better for a little while, things are going well, and sometimes for no reason in particular, you might find your mood drops a little bit, but it tends to return back to whatever your regular baseline is. People have slightly different baselines sure. sometimes, but what's normal for them is usually about where they'll stay. What's abnormal is being constantly happy. That's a diagnosis to itself. You know, you might see some Instagram feeds that look like this sometimes. Oh my gosh. And it's not <laughs> normal, all right? Um, but sometimes people find that their mood is not quite getting back to baseline anymore. And it might start dropping down. It still will go up and down a little bit, but 
is not getting back to what's normal for them. And sometimes it can go to the point where they're not really functioning the way that they're used to anymore. Maybe you can't get out of bed and go to work. Maybe you can't relate to the people that are around you. Maybe you're short and snappy and you just can't seem to turn it off anymore. And that's the situation where if this, you haven't been able to get back to baseline for more than a week or two, it's time to think about getting an assessment, an external observer who can help you understand whether something's going on for you and if it's appropriate, help make a treatment plan. So that might be a doctor or a psychologist or a counsellor, somebody who has some training as to see what's going right. on for you. Um, there's different ways that we can work to recover this mood back to your healthy baseline. And there's a few different ways that you can be doing this. Psychology, uh, talking to someone and going through things like unhelpful thinking styles, and that's something we spoke about more last time, and if you want to find out more about that, and I encourage you to follow that QR code and listen to or watch that, um, that presentation we did last time. Um, sometimes physical things can really help, so getting some regular exercise, for example, cutting out the alcohol, uh, eating well, uh, looking after yourself, getting regular exercise, that kind of thing. And sometimes medications can really help as well. You know, I've seen medications really turn people's lives around and, uh, and do really well from having medications on board. But what I see most commonly is there's actually a combination of these things right. stacked together that help to recover people back to a healthy baseline. And again, not, not up here, but yeah. normal, back to what's normal for them. Would you say, can you put on maybe a Christian worldview hat for a second? This is just where my brain's going seeing that as well. Would some Christian practice like, you know, being in a church community, things we're doing tonight, like singing together about God, even prayer, would these be things you would recommend adding to that, that list as well? Yeah, look, there's some things which, which can really um, put you on the front, on the, the right step forward. Um, Faith-based communities, what we know is that having a really strong and positive community really helps. And it's having regular social interaction is an important part of helping to recover. Something that people can often tend to do is withdraw from the people uh, who are usually in their world yeah. and they can find it very difficult to re-engage again and it's hard to, to return to that baseline. But faith-based communities can be um, really beneficial in that. That's way. awesome. You mentioned, you mentioned about medications as well. I find this super fascinating because I... Um, I def and I know some of you probably don't come from, most of you probably don't come from a similar background to me, but I remember growing up even, there was sometimes in Christian communities a little bit of a taboo around the idea of, of medication that somehow if I'm seeing, you know, taking some form of medication or, or seeing a counselor or a psychologist, it somehow means I'm not trusting God enough or I don't have enough faith or whatever, which I think is absolutely, absolutely rubbish. I think these are incredible resources and tools that God has blessed really smart people with to help humanity through these uh, turbulent waters. But um, so I'm, I'm all for that. And I think there's, you know, I've had personal friends who have just been, spent years and years low and they saw a great doctor, the right medication to help bring them back to that baseline. They're living fully flourishing, healthy, engaged lives right now. So I think that, that's, a, that's an awesome thing in people's journeys. Um, but you know, we're Australians <laughs> and I, I'm going to some other medications in my mind. I wonder if you can speak into it a little bit. Thank you for standing up there, by the way. Um, uh, when people are low, I think it's a, I was, heard a song recently. Some of you might be familiar with the song. It was about a guy who got dumped and um, I'm trying to think of the tune in my head right now, but I won't sing it out loud. I've retired. But essentially the, the, the lyric goes, you know, um, you know, something about it's over, mate, put the phone away. And then he goes, let's go bottoms up. Let's forget tonight. 
And I was like, there it is. Like often the best way we can deal, it seems to be a very cultural way of dealing with our grief is to turn to legal substance that's right there through our alcohol. And it seems to be an easy way we can self-medicate. And it makes sense, right? Because I'm assuming there's a good reason that people turn to that. Maybe speak into a little bit of that often the healthiest approach of dealing when we're low or going through grief or loss to turn straight to drink. Yeah, I mean, you know, I said alcohol very specifically up there. Um, and I bring it up a lot because it's really common and it's really important to understand what's happening when people are turning to alcohol, when they're getting stressed or depressed or anxious. Um, and it's really common, we see it a lot. Um, quite often when people start feeling low, and this is true of alcohol and also of a lot of other substances as well, drugs that you might take by tablets or injection and other things like that, uh, we find that there's a little bit of a boost in mood. And that's because alcohol activates the reward system, releases dopamine into your brain. You feel good. What's dopamine? A little bit. Dopamine's a neurotransmitter which acts at the synapse. So you feel good. It's like the feel-good hormones in our body. Um, Arts degree. Sorry, man. Simplification, but but you can think of it like that. It's a it's a useful fabrication. So you get a little bit of a boost from drinking alcohol. But what we know happens after that is you get a prolonged drop in your mood. Right. And so you end up being worse than when you started off after you drink alcohol. And, you know, if you leave it alone, eventually you'll come back to your baseline uh, from the, after the alcohol, assuming that you're taking care of all the other parts as well. Um, but what happens often is people turn to the alcohol again because it kind of worked back here, but now they're not feeling so good again. Mm. So they'll have a little bit more. And they get another little boost, but it's not quite as high as it used to be. But they get another drop in their mood that comes in afterwards. And they might have a few iterations of this pattern. And what's happening is that in between when you started drinking and down here, your neurobiology has changed to help cope with this extra dopamine that it's getting. So it's not as effective as it used to be. And at the same time, your body's processing out extra alcohol. It's upregulated its liver enzymes to help process this toxin. And I do call it a toxin. That's why we get intoxicated when we drink alcohol. Amazing. Uh, And it's not as much available anymore. So as you keep drinking, it becomes less and less effective, but the mood effects still come in. That's why you kind of need to drink more to get the same hit. That's right, yeah. And eventually it can be so significant, the changes, that if you were to stop all of a sudden, you could get very unwell. So there's different ways to help break out of this pattern. And again, I'd really recommend seeing a doctor or a psychologist to help work through that process because there are some specific and really effective ways that we can address Brilliant, that. man. Thank you very much for helping us with that. Um, you can probably take a seat now. I don't know if my next question... It might require a whiteboard, actually. You're, you're smart on me. Um, you've shared... You've helped us explain what's happening internally with our moods and in our minds when we're going through grief and loss. You've helped us understand how different medications can affect that there and why this is important for us and maybe some things to avoid. Can maybe you speak into a little bit then of some positive things we can do proactively, particularly if where maybe someone's identified tonight or maybe for a loved one they've identified tonight that that's what's happening there. We've experienced loss and we actually haven't recognized that or called that out. What are some things maybe we can all do to help? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've put this onto some of the cards that you'll see uh, on the seats there as well. This is some practical things you can do to help take care of yourself. And I like to keep this as simple as possible. So really things like keeping a regular schedule can be quite helpful, you know eating around the same time every day, waking up, going to sleep around the same time, work and exercise. Just keep your life continuing on. Um, don't let those things fall away. You know, don't neglect your physical health. If you need medical checkups, go and get them. You know, eat well. Uh, drink, you know, less alcohol if your alcohol is increasing in your life. Avoid smoking can really help, that kind of thing as well. 
Um, you can look at ways to actively manage your, the way that you're feeling. If you're worrying, you're really stressed, then you can use things like to-do lists, you can prioritise things. There's certain structured ways of solving problems which can be really helpful sometimes as well. One thing that I really advocate for is uh, unstructured writing, or you might call it journaling, where uh, it really helps you to just wrap some language around some of the things that you've lost and what's been going on for you. And this is really simple. You just need 10 minutes, but 10 minutes every day, kind of regularly, to just write. And it doesn't have to be spelt correctly. It doesn't have to be chromatically <laughs> right. Um, it doesn't have to have a narrative. It doesn't have to actually make any sense. Um, it's just to write and get whatever's in your mind out onto the page. Mm. And that can really help to discharge what's happening. Right, so you're not stewing on it. Mind. So you're not stewing on it in your mind, you're well, actually yeah, getting it out. It really helps, to, it's more of like a processing exercise mm. as well. And sometimes even people are having sleep issues, it can really help to, to get all those worries out onto the page and uh, you never have to go back and read it. Um, you just need to get it out and then people find that really helpful as well. Mm, name it to tame it. That's right, yeah. So when uh, people are going through grief and loss, can be really difficult to identify the emotions they're feeling, why they're feeling that way. So name it to tame it. Yeah, it rhymes. It's one of the sayings that we use to help people to we do to, yes. um, to process uh, and understand and and, uh, and and take action to to help to. Um, I love that. And what about if it's not them. us personally? What if someone's here? Arguably, almost fifty percent of the people here will have a loved one that's going through it. Any practical things you can encourage people to help yeah, there? Absolutely. And again, you know, keeping it simple is is the best. Um, you can just keep touching base with them. You don't need to talk to them about, you know, what's been going on in their lives or everything that's, that they're feeling about, just regular stuff, you know. Right. It's been really muggy today, you can talk about that. <laughs> just whatever's kind of on your mind. Um, and, uh, and don't make it too complicated, you know. You can offer them practical help. Ask them what might help. Could they do with a lift? Um, could you go for a walk with them? Just help them to, to get out and get some exercise and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and if you're worried about someone, if you're worried about yourself, then you know certainly encourage them to to see someone to to get an assessment, get an external view as to what's going on for them. Can really be can really be beneficial as well. Um, you, you can offer to go with them. Uh, not everybody wants somebody to go with them, and that's fine too. Um, but you can always you know put it out there. I love that. Well, Dr. Chris, tonight you've given us so much to chew on and help, and you brought clarity. So we're gonna appreciate and honour you tonight. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you very much. Same. You did brilliant. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.